Hey, this is the Mountain Park Church Podcast. My name is Andrew. Today is a great episode. I'm so excited for you to hear this. You're about to hear from Dr. Rob Reamer. We just finished a three-day soul care conference led by Rob, and today he's teaching on the gift of prophecy using the prophetic not pathetic, but prophetic gift within the church context today. How do we hear God's voice? What are the different ways that God speaks? How do we interpret God's voice? How do we deliver prophetic words in a New Testament grid with a New Testament sort of boundary marker? It's a great teaching today. We even stepped in to do some lab class, like actual learning and doing as a part of the service. That was a massive stretch for a lot of people. But as we've been saying this whole time, you cannot learn about the things of the Spirit propositionally. You cannot look into, um, you know, a, uh, a commentary and learn about the prophetic. You have to learn by doing. As good as commentaries are, as much as we need them, I'm not saying that we don't uh, give attention to intellect and understanding, of course we do, but you cannot fully walk in the things of the Spirit without actually trying and without actually doing. So, uh, I'm gonna send you off to Dr. Rob Reamer in just a second. I wanna let you know, I'm gonna come back at the end of this and debrief with you what actually did happen in the room on Sunday morning as a result of this lab test that Rob initiated in our service. See you soon. Today, Rob is gonna be speaking on the prophetic and you know, it's a little bit maybe interesting that we would be stepping into over the last season teaching on the gifts and some of this, the, the ministry and the everyday activity and work of the Holy Spirit in us and call that foundations. But really, this is like, in, in my humble opinion, this is like the bottom floor of Christian life is a daily interaction with being led by the Spirit, knowing how to hear understand and obey the Holy Spirit's voice, to follow his leadership. This is not advanced spiritual life. This is like day one. Let's start figuring this stuff out together. And as a church, our heart in this is to cultivate this culture where number one, we are cultivating a deep hunger and longing for Jesus, but where we're cultivating a culture where you're living, I'm living in a responsive, engaged, interactive relationship with the Holy Spirit in our lives. Where the, the work of the Spirit is not relegated to Sunday morning church, but the bulk of the Spirit's activity in your life is found in your neighborhood and in your workplace and on your streets. What our region needs, what our city needs, is a church that's released in the gifting and power of the Holy Spirit. But more than that, a church that's released under a culture of cultivating intimacy with the voice of the Spirit so they can follow His direction. What our city needs is not big flashy church services, 
where cool stuff happens in this hour and then everybody just goes home and flips a switch and you become your Monday to Saturday person. What our city needs, what your neighborhood needs and your workplace and our schools is people walking in engaged intimacy with the Spirit of God, cultivating that and then cultivating a life of dependence and obedience and risk-taking to follow his voice. Then the Spirit shows up and does what we cannot do. Our role is to just walk in obedience and trust. And so today, uh, Dr. Rob is going to be talking to us about the prophetic. Super excited to sit under his teaching for that. So let's give him a big welcome and uh, welcome him up here, Rob. So um, I will teach about, thanks man, appreciate it. Um, I will teach about the prophetic, but before I do, I probably have a prophetic word that I need to drop on you. So that's the way it works sometimes. So um, I have one question for you. It's more important than what I'm going to teach. It's the most important question anyone will ever ask you in your entire life. Okay, here's the question. Is Jesus your first love and your primary obsession? I travel around the world, you know, and I have to tell you, my observation about the church worldwide is really simple. We're making it too much about ourselves. It's the single greatest problem in the church today. We're making it too much about us. It's too much about our thoughts, our wants, our needs, our desires, our opinions, our resources, our capabilities. And yet, if I read my Bible correctly, which I'm pretty sure I have, the most important thing in all the world is Jesus. So I only have one question for you. It's the only question you're going to get when you get to heaven. You ready? Is Jesus your first love and your primary obsession? Please hear me. If you missed that one, you missed everything else. That is the essential question of the universe. During COVID, we became obsessed with everything. We were obsessed with masks and no masks, vaccines and no vaccines. We took right and left positions in the church, all about the government and all this nonsense. And I'm just going to say, we lost our obsession with Jesus. We got to recover it. The church will be worthless to the world unless they're obsessed with Jesus. No one wants religion. No one wants church. But when the Christians in a setting are obsessed with Jesus and Jesus is your first love, you are utterly winsome and compelling to everybody out there who doesn't know him. When you're obsessed with politics and you're obsessed with your positions and you're obsessed with your opinions, no one cares. You're just like everybody else. So I'm going to ask you one more time. Is Jesus your first love and your primary obsession? If the answer to that one's not yes, then please, before the day's out, why don't you write it down and say, I need to get this straight with God because this is the most important thing in all the universe. When you get to heaven, it's the first thing you're going to get asked. It's the one lasting eternal question. Is Jesus your first love? and your primary obsession. I'll pray for us, and then I'll talk about prophecy, but my sense is you needed to hear that for some reason. Let's pray. Lord, Jesus is simply the most compelling person I've ever met. I surrendered my life to you, Jesus, when I was 19, you know, nearly 40 years ago. You are still my first love and my primary obsession. There's just no one like you. 
I never get tired of you, bored of you. I never get enough of you. There's absolutely no one like you. Yet if I'm honest, most of the times when I talk with Christians, they don't really talk about you. They talk about their opinions. They talk about their lives. They talk about church. They talk about politics. They talk about current events. But so little passionate obsession about Jesus. I pray in this church that would not be the case. This would be a church that's obsessed with Jesus. He'd truly be our first loves. May that be true of us. And if it's not, I pray today we'd get it really straightened out in our souls. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I was in uh, Greenwich, Connecticut last year, and I was praying for a lady. Just a lot of emotional pain, you know, anxiety, depression, but just trauma, past stuff, just pain, just carrying a lot of pain. I'm praying for this woman, and as I'm praying for her, I have a, just an awareness that this pain began in her life when she was in her mother's womb, which I have to tell you is not something that occurs to me very often or I think about uh, that is not a usual thought process for me at all. But I have this awareness that her mother was physically abused while she was in the womb. I do not know this woman. I do not know her family. I do not know her mother. I just said to her, I said, do you know any story about your mother being abused while you were in the womb? And when I said it, she burst into tears. And she shook her head, no, but she's sobbing. So we've obviously touched on something here. And I prayed with her. There was a tremendous healing, as a matter of fact. Uh, later on, the next day, this woman comes up to me. This woman that I was praying for that day on a Saturday was probably in her 40s. This woman that comes up to me on Sunday, I was there still Sunday preaching in the church. This woman that comes up to me on Sunday is in her 60s. And she said to me, yesterday you prayed for my daughter. You told her I was abused physically while she was in the womb. My husband abused me. I never told a soul. No one knew that. You had no way of knowing that. She said, there has always been a, a wedge between my daughter and I. No matter what we did, we could never resolve it. But yesterday she came and she told me what you said. And I told her the story and we talked together, prayed together. And she said, for the first time, I feel connected with my daughter and our relationship's been healed. And then she looks at me and she goes, God had to tell you that. You couldn't have known that. That had to be God. And I looked at her and I said, that's what they call prophecy. That is prophecy. Listen, can I reduce New Testament prophecy to its essential? It's simply hearing God's voice. That's it. That's all it is. That's all prophecy is. Again, we just have to hear the voice of the Lord. Listen, I'm going to tell you the essential message of the New Testament is about the gospel of the kingdom. That's Jesus' primary message, the gospel of the kingdom. And here's how the kingdom works in a nutshell. You ready? When Jesus shows up, the kingdom comes. When you and I show up, nothing happens. That's what Jesus said, right? John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. So every time you and I show up without Jesus showing up, nothing happens. But when you show up and Jesus shows up because of your intimacy with Jesus, Jesus shows up and the kingdom comes. Listen, one of the things that I want to do in my life is be so close, so near, so centered on Jesus that I can hear his voice because when Jesus speaks to someone, he shows up and the kingdom comes like that story. And so this is why 
I want to learn how to hear God's voice. That's why we want to talk about the prophetic today. I want to do just a couple of things with you around the topic of the prophetic. Um, the first thing I want to talk about is how to hear God's voice. If we're going to hear God's voice, we need to learn how he speaks. Second thing I want to talk about, I want to talk about how do you interpret what the Lord is saying and how do you deliver a prophetic word that's given to another person in a way that's biblical. Um, and I'm going to cover all that stuff real fast, but let's underlie it first with scripture. So why don't you turn with me in your Bibles? I want to look at two passages. We'll look at one more later on, but... The first one I want to look at is Acts chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. This is Peter. He's quoting from the Old Testament prophet Joel. It's on the day of Pentecost. This is after the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the church. And as the Spirit's been poured out on the church, he stands up to preach and he quotes this passage. And this is what he says, Acts chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. He says, in the last days... Biblically speaking, the last days are from the time Jesus rose from the dead until the time Jesus returns, which means Peter is quoting this passage because he realizes they've just entered into this season in the history of the world called the last days, okay? We are still in that season. We're 2,000 years further down the road, but we're in the same season known biblically as the last days days. What he's going to tell you now is what will characterize the last days of which we are living. Here's what he says. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And that includes you in case you missed it. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. They will hear God's voice and relay God's messages. Now listen, this is for all people in the last days, young, old, male, female. In case you missed it, it does include you, okay? So we're all involved in this thing. I wanna read one other passage to set this sort of biblical foundation for what I want to teach on on prophecy. The last passage I want to read right now is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21. And so you can turn there too if you want. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 19 to 21. Paul this time is writing, and this is what Paul writes. He says, don't put out the Spirit's fire. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything Hold on to the good. Man, I'm just going to tell you, there's a brilliant bit of wisdom about the prophetic in this very short little section of Scripture. Absolutely brilliant. First, here's what Paul is saying. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. Don't treat prophecy with contempt. Listen, there's two ways to treat prophecy with contempt. First, tell God he doesn't speak. That's like saying he's dead. That is contemptible. Second, when he does speak, ignore him. That too is contemptible. It is mistreatment, dishonor of God, okay? But notice what he goes on to say in the passage. If you're not treating prophecy with contempt, you're not going to put out the Spirit's fire. Listen, from my own experience, I gotta tell you, when I hear God's voice and Jesus shows up, it does light another fire, fuel for me for my relationship with Jesus. 
That's what happens. I see Jesus show up and I watch what Jesus can do. And my passion is renewed for Jesus in the prophetic. And that's what he's talking about. Okay. But then he says this test everything. Hold on to the good. Why does he say that? Because New Testament prophecy is not like Old Testament prophecy. Okay. Old Testament prophecy. The prophet has to have a word from the Lord and get it precisely, exactly, 100% correct. Okay. All the time. Old Testament prophet. There's one usually in a community. If the Old Testament prophet missed the word of the Lord or misspoke what Lord was speaking, they took him out back and stoned him. Okay. Not New Testament prophecy. New Testament prophecy, you got to, everybody gets to prophesy, not one person in a community, but they don't always get it right. It is subject to mistakes, misunderstandings, not hearing correctly. Therefore, it requires humility to do New Testament prophecy really well. Good news, everybody gets to prophesy. Bad news, not everybody's good at it. So what you have to realize is you have to test everything, hold on to the good, okay? This is brilliant advice. All right, so with that as a foundation, let me give you just these three thoughts about the prophetic today. Number one, how do you hear God's voice, okay? How do you hear God's voice? Now, please hear me. I'm not talking about how God speaks through Scripture. Just to be clear, I believe in the Bible with my whole heart. I've read it hundreds of times, cover to cover, okay? Totally believe in it. But what we're talking about is what the Scripture teaches on the prophetic, how to hear direct revelation from the Holy Spirit. So what I'm talking about now is not how God speaks in Scripture, but how God speaks directly to you through the Holy Spirit. That's what we're talking about. So let me give you the main ways God speaks. You ready? Number one, sometimes God speaks audibly. God it does this throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament. Just, you know, two examples, New Testament. First, Jesus hears the audible voice of God multiple times. Here's the audible voice of God at his baptism, also at his transfiguration. And the people around him hear the audible voice of God with him. Then you think about the Apostle Paul. He also hears the audible voice of God at his conversion. Yet the people around him see a lightning-type strike they hear thunder, they tell, they can tell it's not real lightning and thunder, it's something supernatural has occurred, but they can't hear distinctly what the Lord has spoken strictly to Paul, but Paul hears it out loud, okay? So sometimes God speaks audibly. I'm always curious, but how many of you in this room have heard the audible voice of God? Just raise your hands. Hold them up for a second, hold them up, okay? Look, and they're not all nuts. I mean, some of them maybe, but you know, not all of them, right? Listen, um, I will tell you, I have heard the audible voice of God once in my life, woke me up in the middle of the night, called me by name, and spoke something to me that changed my life. But I will tell you, it scared the heck out of me because I wasn't expecting it. So um, that's the audible voice of God. It happens. Number two, second way God speaks to us, direct revelation. Sometimes God speaks to us through what I would call a whisper or a prompting, a leading, a nudging, the still small voice of God. All these phrases have been used over time to describe this. If I can simplify, all he's really doing is directing your thoughts. That's what he's doing. He's directing your thoughts, okay? You have an impression on your mind. Every single one of you has had this, whether you realize it or not. 
Here's how it works. You're driving down the street one day and you have a thought, I should call Jim. And then you think, yeah, I haven't talked to Jim in a while. I should, I should call Jim. And you keep driving. But the thought comes back, I should call Jim. And you think, yeah, I really should. I haven't talked to Jim in a long time. I should call Jim. And finally, you make the call and you realize it was a divine appointment. How many of you ever had one of those before? Yeah, see, lots of you. By the way, let me say two things about it. One, imagine living your life so intimately with Jesus that you never missed another still small voice from the Spirit again. Imagine how supernaturally saturated your life would be. Wouldn't that be cool? See, that's actually my goal in life. I never want to miss God's voice. It's the most beautiful thing I know, to hear the voice of the Lord and then to walk in it and see what he does, okay? So what I've tried to do is cultivate awareness of that. Every day I sit with the Lord in stillness and I just put myself in a position to receive and I listen. And, you know, I've learned over time to dial in sensitively to the voice of the Spirit. I figured out if I can do this in my private space with God, I'm much more likely to do this in the public spaces with God. So I have to tell you, I started when I was 19, surrendered my life to Christ when I was 19, and I started listening to the voice of the Spirit every day. I just spend 10 minutes alone with the Lord, five minutes in silence alone with the Lord, and just listen. And whatever he said, I just write it down. Cultivating that in my private space helped me to really bring it into the public space, okay? Third way God speaks. Sometimes God uses pictures. You notice that passage we read in Acts chapter two, right? It says that they will have dreams and visions. Well, if you read the book of Acts and just actually read through, notice how many times then he speaks to them in dreams and visions for the rest of the book. It's like a real deal. This happens all through the book. Peter actually has a vision about the Gentiles being included in the church. The only reason most of us are here today is because of a vision. Peter had a vision that allowed you and I to be included. Otherwise, they would have kept it a Jewish gospel. But at the end of the day, there was a vision. That's how the Lord brought correction to the church. Paul became a missionary in a prophetic word and then was directed sometimes through visions, like he had a vision of a man from Macedonia calling him to come and preach the gospel to Macedonia. And so there's these visions that are occurring throughout Scripture, okay? Dreams and visions. First time I ever had a vision, dream rather, that I knew was from the Lord and uh, was when I was in... Um, probably in my early 30s, and I was teaching at a seminary. I still teach there some. And this particular night, I was teaching a Friday night, and then I was teaching all day Saturday. And so I taught Friday night. I went to bed. I go to bed Friday night, and I had a dream about a student. But this student wasn't in the current class that I was teaching. He was a student in previous classes. But I had this dream, and in the dream, this student is at the front of a church weeping. That's the dream. I just woke up, you know, like you wake up in the middle of the night sometimes. I wake up and I'm like, that is so weird. Why would I dream about John? That is just so bizarre. Like, I've never had a dream about him before. I hadn't thought about him in months. Why would I have a dream about John? Go back to bed. Right before I get up in the morning, I have another dream about John. He is still kneeling at the altar. This time, he's speaking in tongues, and he's bathed with the presence of God and joy. And I thought, now, 
Why would I dream about John? That is really weird. So I just said to the Lord, okay, if that's from you, when I get to the seminary, let me see John. I've not seen John in months and months and months. I walk into the seminary. There are two people in the lobby, John, and he's talking to someone else, right? Come on. This has got to be God. I walk up to him. I got five minutes before class starts. I walk up to him and I said, I'm sorry to interrupt. John, I got to ask you a quick question, okay? He said, sure. I said, are you struggling with depression? He goes, yeah. How did you know that? I go, it doesn't really matter. Can I ask you another question? He goes, sure. I said, did you used to speak in tongues and you quit? He goes, yeah. How did you know that? I go, it doesn't matter. But if you speak in tongues again, the depression will lift. I got to go to class. See you later. Couple months later, right? John looks at me, he goes, you'll never believe what happened. I said, you spoke in tongues and the depression lifted. He goes, yeah, how'd you know? I go, God is smart. He knows stuff you don't know. Theology 101. Fourth, sometimes God will speak through your emotion or your body, okay? You will get sometimes where you feel something from the Lord, okay? Listen, uh, fruit of the Spirit, start at the top of the list. Love, joy, peace. They're all emotions. Did you notice that? The Holy Spirit is not adverse to emotion. So I got to tell you, a lot of times he uses emotion. I had an encounter with the Father in a dream. I don't have time to tell the story today, but it was an incredible encounter that radically transformed my life where I felt the outpouring of the Father's tender affections for an entire night after this dream. It was intense. After that encounter with the Father, every time I would walk into a room, I could feel the Father's tender affections for someone. It was not my compassion. It was not Jesus or the Holy Spirit's compassion. It was very uniquely and distinctly the Father's compassion, and I knew it because I had soaked in it for an entire night. And I would walk up to people and say to them, I feel the Father's compassion for you. And they would literally weep and fall into my arms. And this happened hundreds of times. And I started to realize every time I felt the Father's compassion for someone, it was someone in pain. This became so clued in for me that literally I now walk up to someone when I feel the Father's compassion, knowing the Lord will reveal to me what's happening inside their soul. And I walk up to them and I will say to them, I can tell you're carrying pain. Can I talk to you about that? And they'll start crying. I didn't know I was sad. I'm like, well, I think you are. <laughs> it's a gift. Not everyone has that gift, Andrew. It's developed. And immediately the Lord will let me know what's happening. Okay. I've had this happen hundreds and hundreds of times. I'll give you another one that happens to me sometimes. Sometimes I'm praying for someone. They come to me, they ask for prayer, and all of a sudden I start feeling anxiety. I wasn't feeling anxiety, and now I'm feeling anxiety. And I will stop them, whatever they're asking me to pray about, back pain, headaches, whatever. And I'll go, can I, can I interrupt you? I'm sorry. But are you feeling anxiety? And they're like, yeah. And I go, can I pray for that because it's killing me and I'd like to get rid of it? <laughs> I mean, not selfish at all. I just don't like it. And I've seen literally hundreds and hundreds of people cured of anxiety because of this. Um, people that sometimes had anxiety issues for decades. And it's just the Holy Spirit. I'll give you just one other. Sometimes I have felt physical pain in my body. Like all of a sudden my knee will hurt. Now I'm 58 years old. When my knee hurts, I go, gosh, I'm getting old. Sucks getting old. 
But back then, you know, if I felt something like that, and even now, actually, my knee doesn't hurt. So if I felt pain in my knee today, I would take a wild guess that someone probably has knee pain. I was in one town in Ecuador, and I felt this pain in my knee. It was a town completely resistant to the gospel. As a matter of fact, it was the only town I'd ever been in in Ecuador where I felt resistance the entire time I was there. And I felt this knee pain. And I walked up to, the only person in sight was the mayor in this little town. I walked up to the mayor and I said, Mayor, I said, does your knee hurt? And he said, yeah. He said, I twisted it a couple months ago and they were so far from any kind of hospital facility. There was no way for him to get any kind of treatment. And I said to him, Mayor, I said, I think I'm supposed to pray for your knee. And he sat down. I went to pray for his knee. He's not a believer. I go down. I, I go to pray for his knee. And one of the guys that I brought with me on the trip leans over and whispers in my ear. And he goes, I'm getting the word adultery. I go, not now. You're not. Bad idea. <laughs> He's like, oh, no, really, I am. I go, I know, I know, I know. So I, I, I said, let's read James 5. So I read James chapter 5. He only speaks Spanish, of course, and I don't speak any Spanish. So I have the translator read James 5, which tells you pray for the sick. But in the first part, confess your sins to one another and the prayer of faith makes a sick person well, right? So I said, Mary, do you need to confess anything? He goes, well, the woman I'm living with is not my wife. I said, that will count, definitely. <laughs> And um, turned out they were both divorced, living together. I said to him, Mary, are you willing to marry her? And he's like, yeah. You know, could you guys do the wedding? I'm like, well, not really, because I'm not from Ecuador. But the guy with me, who was a translator, a pastor. He could do it. And they're like, okay. And so we prayed for him. He got healed. He got saved. He got married all in the same day. Let me say it again. So here's the power of prophecy, okay? When you hear a word from the Lord, what happens is Jesus is speaking to people, and it isn't complicated. When Jesus shows up, the kingdom comes. When you and I show up, that's why you got to lean into the voice of God, okay? Uh, fifth, sometimes God will give you a word you can see in your mind's eye. It's just like you see a word, you know? Um, this happened to me before. I'm praying for somebody. I see the word bitterness, something like that. I was praying for a lady one day. She had migraine headaches. I see the word bitterness. I said, I see the word bitterness. Does that mean anything to you? She goes, I hate my mother. I said, that would count. <laughs> By the way, she asked me if, you know, if I forgive her, will God heal my headaches? I'm like, well, I don't know. He might, but you'll feel better anyways if you do, I'm sure, in your soul. And finally, lastly, you know, God sometimes speaks what I call straight to my knower. The best way I can describe it is it doesn't feel like it comes from without. It doesn't feel like it comes to my brain. It feels like it's coming way down deep inside up. I don't see anything. I don't hear anything. I don't feel anything. I just know something. And I like know it way, way down. Actually, I get this one a lot. And um, I was, years ago, I was preaching in my uh, church when I was pastoring, and a woman came up to me, had a little entourage with her, probably five or six people. I could tell it was her first time in church. First, they were wearing very uncomfortable clothes that should have been put away 20 years ago. Second, one of them, literally, no kidding, was carrying a family Bible, one of those big fat things that you put on an altar someplace. Like, that was the only Bible they had. They were coming to church. They felt they should bring the Bible, right? So he's like lugging the family Bible. 
you know, and they come up to me and the woman speaks first and she was clearly the matriarch of the family. And she says, hey, listen, she said, I've been to a bunch of doctors and they can't find what's going on, but I'm having digestive tract issues. Uh, no one seems to be, uh, get to the bottom of it and I keep deteriorating. And I heard your church prays for people sometimes and they get healed. Would you pray for me? I said, absolutely. And so I lay my hand on her and, you know, with her permission, put my hand on her shoulder. When I lay my hand on her shoulder, I'm telling you, as soon as I touch her, I know from here up, she's a witch. So I'm just going to tell you, we're going to talk about how to deliver prophetic words, but I'm going to tell you, you got to be careful delivering prophetic words. You call it some lady a witch on a Sunday morning one day at your church, she might dope slap you. So I just looked at her and I said to her, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. I said, have you ever practiced any other religious practice? She goes, well, yeah, I was a witch for 13 years. I said, that'll count. I said, have you ever considered that your problems could be spiritual in nature? She goes, you think I have demons, don't you? I said, absolutely. She goes, yeah, me too. She said, I hear their voices. I said, would you like to get rid of those? She goes, actually, yeah, I think I would. And so, you know, we led her to Christ, did her deliverance. After that, we prayed for her and she got healed. We ended up seeing six witches come to faith in Christ at our church because of that, okay? Power of the prophetic. Again, it's not complicated. When Jesus shows up, the kingdom comes. By the way, I had to last. Yesterday, you had, you know, your little um, uh, festival going on out here for the pagans. What they need is not your contempt. What they need is your prophetic compassion. Two final thoughts about receiving a word from the Lord. I just want to remind you, you got to test everything, okay? Two ways to test a prophetic word. Number one, you test it with Scripture. Here, it's not complicated. If it disagrees with the Bible, it's not God, okay? But there's some things you're not going to find in Scripture, like I should take this job. That's not going to be in there anyplace, right? So how do you test something like that? Well, you have to test it with mature believers who have a consistent track record of hearing God's voice. When I'm hearing something and I'm not sure if it's the Lord or not, I just get the best prayer people in my life together and say, hey, I sense the Lord is leading me in this direction. Can you pray and fast with me about this? And if everybody on board goes, that's the Lord, then I feel like I can take that direction. When I left my church, South Shore Community Church, I walked out of the sanctuary one day and I knew I was done. I just knew. I'd been there for 22 years, and I knew my, well, I was 20 at that point, and I knew my time was up. I just, on the way home, was in my car by myself. I said, Lord, if that's you, you just need to tell a couple of people, Jen and Kelvin Walker. Kelvin's just a friend of mine that's heard from God multiple times. I get home, literally walk onto the back porch, and I said to Jen, I think my time is up. She goes, that's so funny. I said to Danielle, our oldest child, I said to Danielle on the way home, Dad's time is up. Same moment I had it, she knew it. That seemed confirming to me. The next day, Kelvin Walker texted me first thing in the morning, 7 a.m., texted me. He said, hey, I just finished your book, River Dwellers, so good, which, of course, I talk about the prophetic in the, voice, in the book, which is really funny, right, given this story. So I shoot him a note. Thank you so much. Do you have a word for me? He texts me right back. I hear the word release. Does that mean anything to you? We prayed and fasted that week. He said to me, it will be two years, two years to the month later, I left South Shore Community Church. Totally forgot about the word, by the way, that it was two years until the day I left. And I went, huh, it's been two years since he gave me that word, to the month. Okay, God is smart. He knows stuff we don't know. 
First thing, uh, we got to hear God's voice. But second thing, you know, then how do you interpret what the Lord is saying? How do you interpret what the Lord is saying? Let's talk briefly, very briefly about interpretation. I would just suggest to you as many mistakes are made in the interpretation of a prophetic word as in the receiving of a prophetic word. Interpretation of the prophetic can be really, really difficult. So once again, you have to approach it with humility. Sometimes you'll even get a singular word and not get a real clear understanding what it means. So for example, one day I was at church and my worship leader was up front. She was a young gal. I'd guess she was in her late 20s at that point. She was married and they'd been married for about five years. And while I'm sitting and she's leading worship, I get a word, pregnant. That's the only word I get, one word, pregnant. So, you know, I wait till the service is over. She's cleaning up stuff on the stage. I walked over to her and I said to her, hey, Rox, I got the word pregnant. Does that mean anything to you? And she goes, I hope not. I don't want to be. I said, hey, I'm not saying you are. I'm asking if it means anything to you. And she goes, no. I said, do me a favor. As you go about this week, just pay attention to the word and look to see if God shows something to you. Two days later, she's at work. A woman comes up to her and says to her, Roxanne, she said, you go to church, don't you? And she said, yeah. And she said, you know, my husband and I have been trying to get pregnant for five years. We've been going through the in vitro and all that stuff. We can't get pregnant. Would you pray for me? She looks at her, Roxanne does, and says, you know, my pastor came up to me on Sunday morning, gave the word pregnant to me. I think that's for you. I think God wants to open your womb. Praise for that month the woman got pregnant, okay? That family ended up coming to faith in Christ. Once again, the prophetic, so powerful. When Jesus shows up, the kingdom comes, okay? When it comes to pictures, like dreams and visions where you have images, it's even harder to interpret because they're symbolic. And so what happens to us lots of times is we get lost in the symbols. I cannot tell you how many hundreds of times someone has come up to me and said to me, oh, I've had a dream about you. I think it's really important for your life. And it has absolutely no meaning for me whatsoever. Zero. It has nothing to do with me. But I represent something to them in the dream. See, I am symbolic of something. And what they need to do to understand the dream is figure out what I symbolize in that dream. And that's the thing with dreams. You always have to figure out the symbols that are going on in a dream. And I'll give you one that just happened to me 10 days ago. I had a dream 10 days ago that I was um, climbing a mountain with a friend. It was a very steep incline and it was also very rocky. This friend of mine has um, an ankle that is fused together. He fell off a ladder years ago. His foot got tied up in the rope on the ladder. He hung there on his foot and just severed his ankle and it's just severe. So anyhow, they had to fuse it together. And so he's got a bad limp. So anyhow, he's on this incline going up this hill with me and he slid down. He like fell and slid. And I got down, you know, he only went a little ways and I picked him up and helped him up and we climbed up again together and he slid again. And we climbed up again together and this time he really slid. He went way, way down and I am running after him in the dream down to this bottom of this incline where he finally stops. And by the time I get there, he is battered and bloodied and bruised and cut up. And I help him to his feet and I burst into tears and just held him. 
Well, this friend of mine has been in declining health for some time. He's one of my very best friends. We've been battling this kingdom battle and climbing the slopes of God together in the kingdom for over three decades. And I realized his health is in decline. And that dream made me realize I have trapped grief that I need to process for this friend who's declining health, right? And, and I just realized sometimes dreams are very symbolic. The sliding down the hill was his health decline. That's what it symbolized. But it also symbolized the fact that we've been climbing a hill together in the spiritual journey for many, many decades. But he's hit a rough spot in his journey. And it's affecting me too with grief. These are the kinds of things you have to do to interpret. By the way, I'll give him probably a word um, when he comes back home. He's traveling as well as I am. And I'll sit with him and pray with him and stuff. But um, lastly, third thing. So you got to figure out how to interpret. When I do interpretation, I will say this. I never give what I think it means to someone. I give exactly what I have. And then I say, does that mean anything to you? I got to tell you, a lot of times I get pictures for someone when I'm praying for them for like inner healing and the picture means absolutely nothing to me. And I don't assume that I understand what that symbol means. The symbol's for you. It's not for me. Why would I understand what it means? So I just give what I have. I never assume. And again, I would just tell you many, many times people make mistakes in the prophetic because they give an interpretation of what they think it means. And it doesn't mean that. Okay, and that's happened to me hundreds of times where people have given me a legit word, but interpreted it in a lousy way and then insisted that that was the interpretation. And I'm like, try humility when you prophesy, be much better. Third, we have to deliver this word in a way that's honoring to God and to the person. So let's talk about the third component of prophecy and that's giving a word, okay? And this one, I wanna look at a different passage. I wanna look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses one through three. And I'm just gonna say, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 through 1 Corinthians 14 is the largest New Testament teaching on the subject of the prophetic. That's really what it's talking about. Almost every single gift that's referred to in this passage, he's talking about, it falls under what I would call the umbrella of the prophetic. That is, they are all revelatory in nature. That's what they are. And every single time one of these revelatory gifts comes, like discernment, like tongues even, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, there is a revelation from the Lord, and with that is a manifestation of his presence, okay? And that's what he's teaching. 1 Corinthians 13, right in the middle of this three-chapter uh, section on the prophetic, is the love chapter. We read it at weddings. It has nothing to do with marriage. You can read it there if you want to. However, what it really has to do is how you are to operate in the spiritual gifts. That's what it's referring to, okay? Pick up that then at 1 Corinthians 14, beginning at verse 1, and this is what Paul writes. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Now, the Corinthians favored the gift of tongues. This was their favorite gift, right? They felt like it hit them new spiritual echelon. Paul goes on in the chapter to say, I speak in tongues more than everyone, which is just this heavenly language that the Spirit sometimes gives to people. But he says, I'd, in a public service, much rather speak a word of prophecy because it edifies everybody. Tongues really just edifies myself. And the Corinthians were very selfish. That was the problem. That's why he put the love chapter right in the middle, okay? And this is what he says to them, eagerly desire the gift, especially prophecy, follow the way of love. For anyone who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands me, utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies 
speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Okay, please hear Paul's instruction. This is what he says. The purpose of prophecy is to strengthen, encourage, and comfort, and the motive is to love people well. Okay, that's super important, okay? Because if you're giving a prophetic word, that has to be your filter. When I am giving someone a prophetic word, I think to myself, can I say this to you in a way that will strengthen, encourage, and comfort you and make you feel loved? Hear me, if I can't, then I don't get it, okay? I gotta tell you, most of the times, if I cannot speak that word in a way that will strengthen, encourage, comfort Andrew and make him feel loved, that's not prophetic, that's just pathetic. Don't give pathetic words in the name of Jesus. Give prophetic words. So always beware of people that are angry prophets. You know, people come up to me and go, the Lord told me. And they always have to wag their finger. The Lord told me. And notice the lack of humility right away. It's not, I see this, hear this, feel this. Does that mean anything to you? It's the Lord told me. Can I tell you that puts you in a real bind? I either listen to you now or I disobey God. But what if you're the one that's wrong? This stuff's always got to be delivered with prophetic humility. Please hear me. I've been moving in this stuff for 30 years, and I'm pretty good at it at this point in my life. I test every word I give. I never walk up to someone and say, the Lord told me. I will not assume that I'm that good. I want to be careful. And biblically speaking, I want to be humble. So I'm not going to walk up to you and say, the Lord told me. I'm also going to self-monitor. And therefore, I'm going to think about this and say, can I give this to you in a way that strengthens, comforts, encourages, and makes you feel loved? If I can't, I'm not going to give it. Okay, now please hear me. There are times where I receive difficult words to deliver to someone, but I know God is trying to strengthen, comfort, and encourage the person, and i got to figure out a path to get there. I'll give you an example, and with this, I'll close, and I'm actually going to move you to a little bit of a challenge experience. So, a number of years ago, I was um, in a classroom setting, actually, with my friend Martin, who's declining health, I just spoke of, and um, we were in a classroom setting, and we decided we were going to model the prophetic, right? So we asked for a volunteer, a girl comes up front. And she sits on a chair on a stool and Martin's sitting on a stool next to her and I gave up my soul so I'm standing here and I got my hand on her shoulder and he's got his hand on her shoulder and the whole class is watching because we've told them to keep their eyes open and we have our eyes open. And um, Martin looks at me at one point and he's like, which I knew what he was saying because we've done this together for a really long time. He's going, I know you have a word. What are you reluctantly holding on to it for? And I looked at him and went, which did not mean I don't have a word. It meant there's no way I'm releasing the word I've received. And so he looks at me and he goes, like, come on, big boy, quit being a pansy. I look at him and go, and of course the whole class is looking at us like, what is wrong with these two? And I'm going, this is not a lack of courage. I'm telling you, you can't deliver this word. You see, the problem was the word I heard was whore. Okay, just work with me. How do you get from whore to strengthen, comfort, and encourage? And how do I say the word whore in a way that makes you feel loved? I hear the word whore. Does that mean anything to you? So that's a pretty crappy approach to the prophetic, okay? 
So I gotta tell you, a lot of people do damage with the prophetic because they're not filtering it through strength and comfort and courage to make people feel loved. Now hear me, I knew it was the Lord. So what I had to figure out was how could I do this? And also in front of a room full of 75 people, how could I do this in a way that could build her up? So I waited, that's what I was waiting for, in spite of my friend's rude encouragement. And I paused and I said to her, can I ask you a question? Which is often how I enter into the prophetic, so much more humble. And it gives them the opportunity to say no. And uh, she said, sure. And I said, before you came to faith in Christ, was there ever a season in your life where maybe you lived a little promiscuously? And she went, yes. I said, is there a leftover label from those days that still haunts you? And she blurted the word whore and broke into a demonic manifestation at which I looked at Martin and went. <laughs> and that's why I didn't want to give that word. First day of class, look at the mess we've gotten ourselves into. But actually, we ended up doing her deliverance later on that week, and today she is a psychiatrist in New York City helping sexually abused people, which is what had happened to her as a child, which would led to the lifestyle of promiscuity, helping them get free. It was a pretty good story. Okay. All right. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you a bit of a challenge. I know it's Sunday morning. You're going to be a little uncomfortable. It's fine. Get over yourself. I started by saying you're making life too much about you. So here's your opportunity to repent. Okay. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like you to get into a group of three people. Now, please hear me. There's rules. Okay. I want you to get into a three people that you don't really know. Now, why? Because if I'm doing this with my wife, Jen, I could give her prophetic words. Oh, I got prophetic words for Jen, okay? But really, they're just coming out of knowledge. They're not supernatural knowledge. But if I'm sitting with someone that I have never met before, and I hear something and it lands on you, I know that's God and so do you. And so what I'd like you to do is find a group of people that you don't know well, right? Three people you don't know well, just three. And what I want you to do is just listen for each other. So like if it was us three right here and we didn't know each other at all, right? Let's say we started with Brenda. And so we're listening for Brenda and we get a word and we go, I hear this, I see this. Does that mean anything to you? I feel this. Does that mean anything? Test it humbly. And again, please be careful to make sure it strengthens, comforts, and encourages, makes a person feel loved, okay? Let's try this. I know this much. I've seen this happen hundreds of times where the Holy Spirit shows up. I gotta tell you one last story. I was in Houston, Texas with a Baptist church. They don't do Holy Spirit stuff. And they had me come in for a Holy Spirit weekend. And I give this exercise that I'm just giving to you. And two guys are together, just two of them, two men. And uh, neither one has ever heard the Holy Spirit, right? And they're like sitting together awkwardly. They don't know each other. And all of a sudden, one of them goes, all right. He goes, I don't know. He said to chest this stuff. So he goes, I, I got pain in my neck. Does your neck hurt? And he goes, it didn't hurt before, but now it does. And he goes, does your neck hurt? And the guy's like, yeah, I twisted my neck this week. I haven't even told anybody. I didn't even tell my wife. The guy's like, I think I'm supposed to pray for you. He prays for him and the guy gets healed. They'd never seen a healing, never heard a word from the Lord. Okay, so you know what? In spite of your skepticism, the Holy Spirit actually shows up sometimes. So let's find a group of three and listen for one another. Okay, so we had this lab environment going on. There were hundreds of people in 
the service. They were splitting themselves up into groups of three and taking time to individually listen to the Spirit for each person. The key was that they didn't know each other. And uh, it was amazing. I commented to them as I regathered everybody after a number of minutes, maybe 10 minutes, I commented to them that that exercise probably looked closer to the early church than anything we've done in a long time, than our normal standard way of approaching church Sunday morning, which is to come and sit in a lecture hall and just ingest a bunch of information and not actually practice it. So again, in this whole foundation series, as we talk about the gifts, we're doing our best. Obviously, we're not perfect, but we're doing our best to steward the Spirit's actual presence and create space to to stumble our way into these things. And so I sat everybody down and I just asked for any testimonies that were there as a result of this, specifically of words being given to them that were true, that were legit prophetic insight, revelation from the Spirit. Again, these people didn't know each other and they weren't aware of what was going on in life circumstances. And sure enough, we just took a few minutes, but there were multiple examples of the Spirit giving divine revelation to someone about another person. That was accurate. It does happen. The Holy Spirit speaks. And what was the result of that? The result of that was that everyone's faith was built up. As they heard the different testimonies, the faith and the encouragement and the building up of the body was tangible. I actually asked everyone at one point to those legitimately who felt strengthened and encouraged and revitalized in their faith to put up their hand. And most people did, not everybody, but most people did. So I just want to encourage you with that. And I want to just leave you with a comment that Rob made in the middle of the message or near the end. What would our life be like if we never missed, if we never missed the still small voice of the Spirit speaking and had the courage and the faith to step out into the things that God is supernaturally orchestrating around us? What if we never missed one of those? What would happen around us? As Rob said many times in this message, when Jesus comes, he brings the kingdom. When we come, we bring nothing. And so I wanna just encourage you with that. This coming episode, we'll be touching on healing and that's gonna be super exciting. See you next time.